Welcome back to the Everyday Story Podcast. I'm Ben Armstrong. And I'm Jack Clem. Boy, this this is a, a tense season. It this sure is. is yeah. election season. Oh, and it's getting closer. Yeah, a few weeks to go before um, the election. And so what we wanted to do, at least in America, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe not around the world, but in mm-hmm. America, November is the election season. And so we wanted to just take an episode or two here and talk about our perspectives regarding the election, um, and then maybe how the whole story of Scripture should speak to how we right. think about this election season. Mm-hmm. Um and hopefully this is an encouraging episode. Yes. It's a little bit of a stretch for both of us uh, yeah. to walk our way through this. There's been a lot of good information put out by um, good men with regard to how to process this in a you know, maybe more technical way uh, from the scriptures. And uh, what we're trying to do is really establish some sort of a grid or a framework. In other words, don't approach the election in a completely, you know, secular way, if I could say it that way, but approach this time from a biblical grid. And mm-hmm. of course, the grid that we're always talking about in this podcast is the biblical story. And so we really do feel that the story helps us kind of contextualize where we are and how to think about the way that we would cast our vote or how we would respond as citizens in this moment, in this political season. So, you know, one of the things we were talking about is, you know, there's a good generation between us. Yes. As we, you know, think about life in America and, you know, what's your perspective having participated in a lot of elections, witnessed a lot of elections, mm-hmm. um, the kind of what is your perspective on this season uh, and what, what we're going through right now? Right. No, that's good. And I'm anxious to hear uh, your thoughts as well. Well, for me, uh, I would say a couple of things, and these are just certainly my own personal reflections on this particular moment in time. But for me, uh, right now, the way it feels is the way it felt to me in the 60s. I was younger, obviously, but I was old enough to be able to feel the tension that existed uh, with the Vietnam War, uh, with you know just the things that were happening or were about to happen, and uh, the, the racial riots, the assassination of John F. Kennedy, you know Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, all those things, and I just remember fe- I just remember that sense of unsettledness or disruption, and I was I was young at that time, and of course uh, I'm. I'm drawn back to that right now as I think about this moment and everything that's going on, just all of the, the tension, the rhetoric, um, the you know, political battles. So I think my generation of friends are probably you know, still going to be very conservative in the way they view the issues, um, probably thinking through the lens of a pro-life approach to Scripture, perhaps um, a little bit, you know, that being more in focus than anything else. And, um, you know, definitely feeling the responsibility to vote and handle that privilege well in this particular moment. So I think the, I think the pro-life issue for my generation, and I'm, you know, in my 60s, 64, so um, that is, is large. I think also you know, the uh, Second Amendment, the right to hold, bear and hold arms. Um, I think the, um, you know, the government, economy, taxes, all of that stands out, I think, as things that are running in the forefront of 
our thinking about what's going on. So, um, so, but I'm sensing from your perspective, your generation, or and maybe even some within my own generation, just that maybe this needs to be um, looked at or viewed in a in a broader way, not just through a singular lens, but maybe in a in a broader way. So, what, what would you say about your group and your your friends and the people you track traffic with or travel with? <laughs> yeah. So this is actually uh, like you know this is confession time. It's actually my first election that I'll be participating in. I'm 25. So the last uh, 2016, I was 21. I was in college, and uh, it was like notoriously difficult to get an absentee ballot from the state in which I lived in college, and I never got around to doing it on time. And it's just a whole process that I should have cared more about when I was in college. Um, but I can blame that on my college self. Uh, <laughs> so this is actually the first election that I'm actually you know able to participate in and wanting to really own as an adult. And I think um, my general thought on this season is uh, traditionally, I think uh, our like circle of Christianity has placed a lot of weight on politics and who is president and mm-hmm. elections. Mm-hmm. And my knee-jerk reaction to that is I think I'm becoming more convinced that like loving my neighbor and being a vital member of my local church is far more important than who I vote for every four yeah. years. Mm-hmm. It matters who I vote for. Um, that should be important. It matters what policies are enacted in the government in which I reside, especially in America. We're going to talk about that later, mm-hmm. how we get to steward um, a particular responsibility to participate in our government. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, loving my neighbor, being active in my neighborhood, active in my city, uh, is is of far greater importance in the long run mm-hmm. uh, than than just every four years, you know, an election cycle. Um, I also have this growing sentiment that, um, like, no matter what happens, people will disagree on politics, and Christians will disagree mm-hmm. on politics. Um, there isn't like one clear point of verse at you know, something, bam, problem fixed. This mm-hmm. is who you should vote for. Done, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. No questions asked. All Christians everywhere in the world should vote for this person. It's much more complicated than that. Um, and people won't always, dis- uh, people won't always agree. I also feel like uh, there's a growing sentiment in my own mind that like, it really does matter what you listen to. Mm-hmm. So there was a debate recently and I watched two different takes on that debate. Uh, from opposite ends of the spectrum. And it was incredible to me um, if that was the only thing I watched, how different my thinking would be mm-hmm. depending on which one I watched. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think there's a growing sentiment in my generation of like, it matters what you listen to. And we need to be like honest about how what we listen to and how what we watch and how what we feed into our brain affects how we think about politics. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and other people are listening to other things. And that, that affects what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I also think uh, there's a frustration in my generation, perhaps, with mm-hmm. um, the placing of too much hope into a political person. Like, yes, this, this yes. president will solve all of the wrongs. Right. This president will unilaterally be able to, you know, control the Supreme Court and the Congress mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. pass anything he wants. And, mm-hmm. like, there's just this optimism that, I feel like is unfounded right. and never actually right. leads to much change. Yeah, I think that's the same even in my generation. There's a sense of that exact sentiment mm-hmm. that this is going to get fixed through policy or funding. 
Mm. Yeah. So, so I, so I don't know. I, I think there's, uh, you know, maybe some pessimism, mm-hmm. some cynicism in my generation where it's like, you know, why does this even matter? Yeah. You know, does my vote even count? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that has to be pushed back and corrected. You're right. Um, but I also think there's a, there's an emphasis on holistic. So, you know, you, you talked about pro-life mm-hmm. and I think, you know, my generation and particularly, you know, the people I'm hanging out with and talking about, we're talking about what does it mean to be pro-life, right? And it means more. It does mean, but it means more than just fighting for the lives of the unborn. Mm-hmm. It means that it means that we should be pro-life on abortion, but like, do we care about certain children once they're born? Right. Like, right. are we caring for them? Do we fight for their, you know, equality of experience mm-hmm. in America? Are we, mm-hmm. um, are we giving them a life? you know, worth living after right. they're not aborted. Right. What about old people? Are we protecting them and caring right. for them? Um, like what candidate really is pro-life? Right. Um, you know, if you're best friends with a dictator who uh, is committing genocide, is that being pro-life? Right. You know, so, right. so these are like complicated issues when right. you think through, like what does it even mean to be pro-life? And if mm-hmm. that's your one issue... Well, are you selective with even in that issue Mm -hmm. about what candidate you're going to vote for? Mm -hmm. And so then you step back and you look at all of the other issues that you could Mm -hmm. biblically vote for a candidate on, Mm -hmm. so many different issues. It's just so complicated and it's overwhelming. And there's part of me that's like, I don't even want to mess with it. Right. God's sovereign. Whoever's going to be president, I'll be president. (laughs) I know. Uh, I feel the same way at times, for sure. I'm not going to cloud my mind with all of the weight of all Mm -hmm. of these different issues. Um, so that's kind of my perspective. Yeah. Well, I, I, we were talking a little bit before we got on air here that, uh, you know, th- this is sort of a unique election opportunity in that, you know, that the elections that are up for vote, all three of them that are um, up for vote. And then in addition to that, it's a census year. Mm. And so, you know, the sort of the perfect storm that we have in 2020 is something that happens, um, you know, every 20 years. So... There is there's more reason to vote than just the selection of a of a president, but it doesn't make it any less complicated. But it does provide a little bit more incentive, given the nature of what we are actually um, living through, to um, give more value to that particular vote. So, uh, I was just going to share quickly a story of um, a lawyer friend who was doing depositions for a um, you know an abortion clinic there was a an incident and he was tasked with doing depositions and while taking one of those depositions um you know he was challenged it's like you know you you pro-lifers are pro-life but are you doing what are you doing to adopt so you know so just to your point and that really troubled him and um you know he started talking to his wife about it, it led to an adoption of a of a child from from Europe and um you know they've They've seen that child grow up in their home and now, you know, ready to embark on his own kind of a life. But, but to your point, I think it's, it's, you're right. In other words, we say we're pro-life, but are we really? And what are, if we are, what are we willing to do? And um, how are we willing to participate in being pro-life? Hmm. I feel like also, um, I was listening to some, some podcasts earlier, and I, I feel like, you know, perhaps other generations have taken for granted a certain level of certainty in the country's stability and in our mm-hmm. political process and um, what life would look like in the future. And um, 
like with 2020 and all that's happened this year and then the election coming up, you know, there's so much uncertainty. Mm-hmm. There's so much fear. Yes. So much instability. Uh, like what will happen? Um, will this be safe? You know, what, what will happen if this person does this and what mm-hmm. if they do this and how will that affect things 10 years from now? And there's so much uncertainty and uh, like, what do we do with that? And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, as we think about the story of scripture and God's people throughout history and God's plan for the world in in this beautiful story that's the Bible. Um, yeah, how can we start to think through some of these different issues? Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, for me, as I was framing my thoughts for this, and um, I know that we shared the same heartbeat to be able to produce a, a podcast that would be somewhat calming or that would be somewhat um, you know pertinent to the speak to the issues, speak the gospel, if we could say that, mm. and say it that way, into the uh, the concerns. And I would say, you know, from a perspective point of view, that first of all, God's people often lived in less than ideal political situations. Mm. I mean, you it's can't... It's a light way of saying it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm. you think about Egypt, the Egyptians compelling the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, the Pharaoh refusing to let Israel go, judges is a cycle of oppression, and oppressive reigns resulting from Israel's disobedience. And then at other times it was Assyria, Babylon, Persia. And then in the New Testament, it was the oppressive hand of the Roman government. So, you know, who are we to complain or who are we to doubt that we can continue on um, without the Lord's enablement and help? And then and then to remember, we're members of his kingdom under his leadership, God's kingdom under his leadership. And the king of the biblical story is the creator, the righteous judge, the merciful redeemer, the loyal covenant Lord. And according to the Abrahamic covenant, if we read that right, Genesis 12, 15, and 17, God's blessing would flow from the nation to the nations. God's people are a kingdom of priests. And when we think about that from the perspective of Paul in Colossians 1, 13 to 15, we've been rescued out of a kingdom of darkness, placed into a kingdom of light under the, the sovereign righteous rule of Christ himself. Hmm. That is, I mean, that that's really key. I mean, those two things, those first two points you made, I mean, yeah, if you think about living as an Israelite in the time of Pharaoh, mm-hmm. making bricks yeah. and, uh, you know, being told to murder your babies. Right. And I mean, there was some wicked, wicked evil Mm-hmm. That that God's people have lived through, right? Lived in the midst of some hard decisions to make in those moments. Yeah, I mean, talk about talk about some hard hard policies mm-hmm. to uphold and to live under, mm-hmm. to live through. Um, I mean, and even you think after after the Bible is written, I mean, think about the Inquisition, think about the Reformation, think think really even about the rest of the world today. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think um, God's people live. Uh, in in the midst of a lot of tough political situations, mm-hmm. there are Christians all over the world oh, right yeah. now yes. who are making some very hard decisions and live under uh, very abusive regimes mm-hmm. who propagate wickedness, evil, mm-hmm. and uh, you know life is hard. Right, and I think that's an excellent. I mean, that's so huge. Right, and yet to to be like encouraged that from creation, mm-hmm. God has sought out a people for his name and Mm -hmm. he's had one Mm -hmm. and he has his plan has not been frustrated Mm -hmm. or stopped at all right right by any political ruler who in his wickedness sought to defy god's word and i think that's like encouraging it is yeah that like god's church will go on right 
America might not, like a country might not, um, but God's word or God's church will continue. God's word will be preserved mm-hmm. and nothing can stop that. Right. Like who, no matter who's elected, no matter what policies are enacted, mm-hmm. uh, like nothing is going to stop that. Right. And that's encouraging. And then, yeah. and then like we're members of God's kingdom, uh, you know, that, that kind of, I think in our, in our culture, you know, we don't really look too uh, keenly on kings queens mm-hmm. or kingdoms mm-hmm. uh, we like presidents and democracies sure. and that kind of thing but this is the kind of kingdom you want to be a part right. of uh with a forever king who's mm-hmm. good wise all-powerful just mm-hmm. i mean this is this is a beautiful kingdom that we're primarily citizens of and i think um you know i think do you think it's hard for us as americans to see ourselves primarily as members of god's kingdom mm. And what that actually means, like, do you think, yes. uh, like, our democratic process kind of clouds our understanding of what it means to be a citizen of a kingdom? Right, right. Yeah, I think so. And I think that uh, you know, we maybe in addition to that, we hear all of this conversation about nationalism and patriotism that really does um, direct our heart's affection to this earthly kingdom and uh, our our citizenship in it rather than seeing our citizenship in a far greater, far bigger, far more righteously ruled kingdom than ever before. So yeah, I think it is difficult. Um, and we, we do have a lot of freedom in our country and, um, we have a lot, a lot to be of, thankful for. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of opportunity in our country and, um, you know, perhaps we would think differently of that if we were in a more oppressive part of the world where, uh, those kinds of things uh, would create a, a stronger longing in our hearts for God's righteous rule to come and to for us to be under it. Now, throughout you know throughout Scripture, we're not only told that we are part of God's kingdom, but then there are lots of exhortations and commands to live in our current world, in our current kingdom mm-hmm. or nation, as members of a greater kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, what, what does that start to look like when we think yeah. about the whole story? I know, isn't that, I, that always um, significantly impresses me because I start to think about these oppressive seasons of life that we just rehearsed a little bit for um, our look at, you know, what was Israel like under Egypt and in the Judges period and so forth under Assyria, Babylon, Persia, etc. And then to, to hear uh, out of those those texts or those historical contexts, you know, these strong exhortations to live holy. You know, as you think about, um, um, you know, particularly in the New Testament, Peter it does not go easy at all on his dispersed readers, mm. calling them to submit to every human institution, do right, silence foolish men, fear God, honor the king, follow the example of Christ. Mm. And then, of course, even uh, go, let's go back to the Old Testament, and you see where. David, or excuse me, where Daniel and Nehemiah are recognizing in their confessions of sin in Daniel 9, Nehemiah 9, this acknowledgement of, of sin and its deadly effects and their need to live in a way that represents the Lord well wherever they are. And they haven't done that, and as a result, they're in exile, you know, sort of a thing. So, so God expects us and encourages us exhorts us to, you know, regardless of the situation or the circumstances, to continue to focus on him, pursue him, love him, represent him well, and uh, live as a distinguished member of his kingdom. Hmm. Now, um, regarding earthly leaders, though, the Bible doesn't shy away from talking about them. Right. And there are lots of exhortations throughout, especially the New Testament, to submit 
to human leaders. You, know, you think of First Peter two, submit to every human institution, mm-hmm. do right, you know, fear God, honor the king, uh, render to all what is due, you know, and, and there's this theology that uh, there is no king, president, ruler, governor who is in leadership who is not appointed by the king. Mm-hmm. And so you can honor whoever the little king is. Right. You can pray for that little king. You can serve that little king um, because the king is in control. Right. And uh, that's that's really encouraging. Yes. And really helpful. Right. As we think about you know who's going to be president. Who. Right. You know, what about this election? Well, like there's the king who's overall. Right. And. Uh, you know, nothing will stop his plan. He already he's already passed November third. Right. He's already passed twenty twenty. Right. Thankfully, right. he knows what twenty twenty one holds. He knows what the future holds. He's already there, um, and so we can trust and obey and follow right. the King. Right. God. And even in that King that may rule in a way that we may not particularly like. So there, it's not like submit to the guy who um, follows all the biblical principles. It's like no honor the King whoever that is. And we don't know what God is doing um, all behind the scenes to accomplish his goodwill and his good purposes. And so, um, you know, we just need to follow exactly what that biblical mandate encourages us to do and to live that kind of a life that does reflect our honoring the government and the leadership over us. Now, of course, that begs further questions about, well, what if that king rules in such a way to you know, limit my Christian freedoms or my 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 rendering to the Lord what rightfully belongs to Him. Well, that's another issue. There's where we might um, rightfully see some conscientious objection hmm. to those kinds of things. Especially, and that brings up the point, you know, especially in our particular culture, mm-hmm. um, you know, America is very different than first century mm-hmm. Roman culture. Right. Uh, as Christians, as you know, citizens of America, we have a say. Mm-hmm. We have a particular stewardship. We have a responsibility that is unique from a lot of other governments in which Christians might find themselves under. Mm-hmm. Um, like we get to have a say. Right. We get to determine who will be our leader, and then we get to have different voices and different policies right. and different pieces of legislation and what life looks like. We actually have a say. Like the right. governed actually get to determine right. um, what the government looks like. And mm-hmm. and so in that sense, you know, we have a stewardship. We are commanded to think biblically about how we should vote or how we should participate in government. We have that option, mm-hmm. have the responsibility. And so that's really unique. And um, Yeah, we get to choose. We, so we have an opportunity to vote for those in authority over us. And then we have an opportunity to influence those that we have voted into office with, um, you know, righteous kind of policies and procedures. We we are invited, in, as a matter of fact, into that conversation by our political leaders. They, they poll us, they solicit us. Um, we have pathways to, and, you know, maybe some of those pathways at times are blocked or clogged or or frustrated uh, for whatever reason, but the opportunity still exists for us to to exercise or to engage the process however we want to do that or to whatever extent we want to do that. Mm, that's excellent. So I think, you know, as you think through what the story should help us think through, you know, what does the whole Bible story help us think through these different issues? Mm-hmm. For me personally, I think the story gives me a lot of perspective. Yes. So as I approach you know, an election season where I might be prone to worry or fear 
I can remind myself of what God's people have lived right. through throughout history. I have a large story of that. Okay, like God's people have always existed throughout history. They will until the story ends. God will preserve his word and his right. people. I don't have to worry or fear. Yeah, that's great, Ben. Because, and we've talked about this very point in other episodes where, you know, we've talked about that sense of, okay, in the moment, I'm disoriented. I don't mm-hmm. really know what to do. I'm emotionally upended, disoriented, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, whatever. So having the perspective of the story allows us to look backward from where we are, as well as enables us to look forward so we can we can find stability through the the way the Lord has worked the spirit who indwells us is you know encouraging us and then we can see that well if God's done all of this in all of these previous acts and we're getting near the end of these acts then we can have confidence and have a reason to be calm and as a reason to to trust I also think uh, it gives me perspective when I have a really strong opinion politically. Yeah. So I think it, the story should inform me that the church is made up of people across all of time from every people group and culture. Therefore, like I should hold my particular political opinions with grace and humility. <laughs> I should be really hesitant to attach the word biblical to any yeah. certain policy right. or candidate. Like policy is complicated. Politics are complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this, you know, in, off mic. You know, when one piece of legislation might simultaneously bring justice to one group of people uh, or aspect of life and encourage or give license for injustice towards other people right. simultaneously. Right. And we just like it's so difficult, it's so know. complicated. And and we we all have opinions on what should happen and what should be passed and what life should look like. And if we were president, we would do this, or if we were in charge, this would happen. And we just need to hold those opinions, understanding that the church isn't made up of just me. Right. And that's a really good thing. Right. God has brought other believers around me in the church who I need to be listening to, and I need to listen to their perspective and watch uh, as they disciple people, as they read their Bible, as they think through these issues, they're going to have wisdom to bring. Mm-hmm. And and we need to be listening to each other and asking each other good questions, praying through these things together. Um, because if we all have our really strong opinions, um, it's likely that not all of us are biblical. Right. And we need to listen to each other. It's a really helpful thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I was reading uh, Tremper Longman's book, uh, Bible in the Ballot Box, and he offers some interesting perspective with regard to how to kind of think your way through all of these issues, just as you're describing here. And he makes the point uh, in keeping with what we've been talking about in terms of, you know, the Bible is a collection of stories, story-like histories, poems, and letters. And really, as we read it, and as we read the story and immerse ourselves in it, it's informing us and shaping us out of the context of that larger narrative. And we're really approaching all of these life issues and concerns out of the context of the overall story or an episode in the story. And I like uh, what Longman was suggesting with regard to thinking about the redemptive ethical principles that Mm. are brought forward in the story. Um, You know, the confluence of the law and New Testament ethical pronouncements and this trajectory in a sense that aligns with the ideals of Eden. You know, so we're we're kind of thinking, and that goes back to that backward-forward. You know, here we are in this moment, we're looking backward, we're looking forward, and we're trying to sort out, you know, what are the redemptive historic, what are the redemptive ethical principles that we're seeing 
um, played out in each episode of the story. So I, I thought that was helpful, at least to give yeah. some mm. substance to like, okay, well, how do I think about this? Or mm. what is it that I'm looking for? And we could probably do a whole podcast on just yeah. that, you know, yeah. but, but that mm. does give uh, some, some emphasis there. I feel like finally, at least for me, the story gives me perspective when I don't really know what to do regarding politics. Yeah, I think like the story should encourage me that, you know, the election coming up is not the ultimate end. Right. The story of scripture, when I don't know what to do, the story guides me and displays to me the very heart of God. Right. And that's what I need. Right. Like when we are looking at how we should vote, when we're looking at um, what kind of policy we should support, when we're looking at, okay, like what should I do in my community this year in order to, you know, uh, encourage the good of people around me to do justice, to uh, love kindness, right? Like we we need to get to the very heart of God. Mm -hmm. And as God's people, as kingdom citizens, we want to reflect God's heart Mm -hmm. to everyone around us. And I think, you know, the story guides us to that. The story showcases um, you know, the story of God and calling out a people for his name and gr- out of gracious mercy. We see the life of Jesus where we see the heart of God displayed. Um, and then what the church is called to do in the epistles. And then we see the end of the story, which is, um, you know, the, that's where we're heading. And so that, mm-hmm. that end should guide us too. And mm-hmm. so as I think about, you know, what I don't know what to do. Like, I, uh, this is so complicated. I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> Um, the story guides me right. to that heart of God, right. and that's right. what I need right now. I need to know right. who is my God, what is He like, who am I called to be, right. and what does that look like, and then that starts to help inform how I think about different issues that affect people made in God's image. Mm-hmm. It starts to affect, okay, how should I think about my leader who is a person made in God's image? Mm-hmm. Like uh, All of a sudden, um, that theology starts to affect right. how I'm thinking and right. what I need to be doing. No, that's excellent, Ben. Well said. Yeah, I think, and I think that's really, uh, I mean, we've been playing with this sort of framework and methodology of the scriptures for uh, a period of time now, uh, getting close to a year. And I, the more we play with it, the more we look at it, it becomes so much more functional and useful, and particularly in this moment, just as we we allow that that framework, which we think is really part and parcel of the story itself. There's a there's a built-in structure to this this history, this revelation that God has given to us, and if that structure indeed is the story as we're seeing it, uh, it does serve a very useful function in um, our our understanding of the current day issues. One of the things I mentioned a little bit, we talked a little bit about it, but I think is a major takeaway that, that you you and I talked a little bit about is um, we don't know what to do or when we're worrying or fearing or when um, we don't know who to vote for. Uh, we have a grace, a means of communicating mm-hmm. and gaining wisdom, and that's through prayer. Prayer, right. And so as you think about prayer and the election season, as we think about prayer and the story, um, like you have some thoughts to, to kind of help guide our thinking mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know, maybe giving us a resource that mm-hmm. we might know is there, but we might not really know how to use it or might, sure. you know, could grow from, from hearing. Well, just a few simple thoughts, really. And I would, I would really say, this is what we need to do. Let's pray. This is the means that we have been given an opportunity to personally commune with the Lord. It's a, it's a discipline that God has made available to us, a means that uh, he has made available to us so that we could uh, speak to him open-heartedly, uh, genuinely, and sincerely. And of course, um, 
you know, we're exhorted to pray. We and you had mentioned it earlier. Pray for our those in authority over us, uh, so we can live a gospel life. Uh, pray that the gospel will be believed, and God's desire is for all men to be saved, uh, and that's uh, presented in the context of prayer. And uh, as Paul um, made those comments to Timothy, First Timothy two five, God desires to work exclusively through the person of Christ, and the Lord is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. And really, Lydia came to know the Lord out of the context of a prayer meeting, when you think about it, in Acts 16. Paul prayed for, as we know, the salvation of Israel. So I would say specifically, we should pray that that the Lord's will obviously will be done, His kingdom will come. Mm -hmm. I'm praying particularly for fair and decisive election, I'm praying for wisdom to properly discern the issues that are before me, and I'm praying for charity and respect. I really want that to be something that distinguishes my demeanor and my conversation, particularly when everything is amped up to mm. 10 mm. instead of you know maybe a 4 or a 5. Mm. Those are excellent. Now, uh, you, uh, as you've been praying through all of these different aspects, you uh, actually took the the time to work on a liturgy right for election elections um and uh as we close this episode i thought it'd be really really helpful i was really impacted um by this prayer that you wrote and i thought it'd be really helpful for us uh, to hear that and to think about that as we close here yeah so here's a you know again just in the spirit of every moment holy that uh, many of us have come to appreciate from the ministry of andrew peterson um here's a liturgy for politics O Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords, we lift our voices to you in the elections of 2020. Our hope is ultimately in you as our sovereign. Our hearts are broken as we look at our government and our leaders. We lament the lack of humility, respect, and honesty among our leaders. Few will ever admit wrong, take responsibility, or consistently hold a position. Yet everyone has their truth, their story, their point of view. The countless sound bites filling our public discourse lack integrity and are not worthy of our trust. Our laws and policies never seem to balance the scales of justice. Our cities suffer the pain and agony of riots, looting, and destruction. Our fellow citizens are dying in the streets. We cannot conquer the wickedness of our hearts with funding or legislation. Yet we are grateful to have a vote, to have an opportunity to express our biblically informed opinions. We trust you and your plan for government. We believe you established our rulers, that they are your ministers for our good and for the punishment of evildoers. We need your grace to submit to them, to honor them, to see that you stand over them and ultimately use them for your glory. We pray for all those in authority over us, even for those who don't govern as we want. We pray so that we will be calm, godly, dignified, even if our candidates are not elected. Help us to love, to listen, to model your character in the public square, the marketplace, our communities, and with our families. We pray so that the gospel will advance to all who believe. Give us a long view, O Lord. Give us a longing for you to come. You are the only sovereign King of kings, the Lord of lords. You love righteousness and justice. You maintain the cause of the afflicted. You will execute justice for the oppressed. You are the righteous judge standing at the door, 
O Lord, give us wisdom to live as hope-filled citizens in this political season. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Everyday Story Podcast. If you like what you're hearing and you haven't yet subscribed to our podcast, help us out and click that little subscribe button wherever you find your podcasts. Graphics for the Everyday Story were designed by Virginia Stroud, and original music for this podcast was created by John Horton. If you are on Instagram, give us a follow at the Everyday Story.